And welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. I'm your host Stephen. This week we'll be looking at the Kerrang! issue number 609, August the 10th, 1996, £1.50, Planet Rock every Wednesday. So the keen-eared listeners amongst you will have noticed that I uh, tagged on a uh, little bit of music to the intro last week. So uh, I went... Uh, to pick up my partner after work and I was sat in my car for a little bit and I was listening to the best Pearl Jam album which is No Code uh, which is actually going to be reviewed in Kerrang! Uh, quite soon. I've gone ahead and uh, had a look at what review they gave it because they slated Who You Are as a single and uh, Kerrang! didn't hate it so that's good we'll get to that no spoilers anyway I was listening to um, yeah, No Code and the song Habit came on and obviously there's that bit halfway through where Eddie Vedder says, speaking as a child in the 90s. And I was like, do you know what? We're mostly, all of us listening, were child's <laughs> children of the 90s. Teenagers, whatever you want to say it. So I thought that one, that was quite poignant. I should have probably done that two years ago, but here we are, making, making little changes and additions as we go along. So the cover stars for this week are Bon Jovi. No, not really. That's a uh, funny joke from me. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, it has been Bon Jovi a lot this year. Um... I'm as bored of Bon Jovi being on the cover of Kerrang! as you probably are, the listener, listening to me moan about Bon Jovi being on the cover of Kerrang! So an interesting one this week. We have uh, three different faces on the cover of Kerrang! So we've got Jonathan Davis and Monkey Shaffer from Korn, Art Alexakis from Everclear and Rob Zombie from White Zombie. So Kerrang! says on the cover, Korn, Everclear, White Zombie. America's Most Wanted, plus From Garbage to Metallica, The Ultimate Guide to Yank Rock's Finest, News, Wild Heart Secret Gig, Slayer, Murder Shock, Ozzy and Leopard, Live in the USA, plus Bush, Pantera, Entombed, Green Day, Soundgarden and Dearly Beheaded. I believe this is the first time that Korn have appeared on the cover of Kerrang! So this marks quite a shift in the, um, the face of face of rock music in the 90s at this up until uh, this point Kerrang had been calling Korn actually they didn't know what to call them they called them an industrial band they called them a metal band um, the term new metal hadn't been coined at this point I don't actually know who coined that term new metal and um, you know where it where it gets traced back to I would I'd love to know actually I'd probably be quite fascinated to find out um, where that comes from Anyway, so corner on the cover this week, and yeah, this definitely, definitely marks a shift uh, of rock music in the 90s. The fact that corner on the cover, they're about to play Donington, Life is Peachy comes out uh, at some point this year, and they absolutely blow up, and they definitely, definitely become, if not the biggest, definitely one of the biggest rock bands in the world. And 
pretty much changed the face of metal as we know it. Um, also at the same time, uh, Deftones blow up as well. But they're not on the cover quite yet. We'll get there when we get there. If you would like to get in contact with us here at Karangback Issues, we can be contacted via Instagram, Karangback Issues, Twitter, KarangPod, and email, karangbackissues at gmail.com. This issue of Karang was created with the following stimulants. Contributing editor Paul Elliott's 30th birthday, nice cake, Sonny. The Karang Crash, a nice trip to Spain with mum, dad, little Ollie and auntie Sandra. Faith No More Keysman, Roddy Bottom, live in London with Imperial Teen. Fishy Sneezes, PG's Night on the Lager with Fluffy, more news soon. The Elvis Wig, The Room of Doom, The Shakes, The Hairdo from Zell, Type of Negative's Mad New Video, Alison Chains' Jaraflies EP, Fantastico, Marks and Spencer. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And we start this week with news. The Wild Hearts surprised everyone at London's Camden Palace last week when they got up on stage and played four songs following a show by Three Colours Red. The foursome were expecting to jam with new creation signees Three Colours Red, whose guitarist Chris McCormack is the younger brother of Wild Hearts bassist Danny, but instead were left to their own devices. Uh, all this came on the eve of Ginger and the boys leaving for their first ever tour of America, supporting ACDC in a two-month stint that would see them playing some of the biggest arenas in the States. The offer to open for DC came as a direct result of the pair's recent highly successful tour of the UK and Europe. Ironically, the band went out having severed all links with Warner Music who have been responsible for marketing and distributing the Wild Hearts' label Round Records over the past few months, a period that saw the release of the revamped Fishing for Lucky's album as well as the single Sick of Drugs and Red Light, Green Light. But far from being disappointed at the loss of this deal, the band are apparently delighted and are in the process of setting up a new deal. We feel very positive about the situation, a spokesperson for the Wild Hearts told Kerrang. We are talking to several major labels at the moment and can either sign directly to one of them or set up another distribution deal with Round. But we're not rushing into anything. Why should we? The ACDC tour will take us through to the end of September, so there's no need to get things sorted straight away. More news when we have it. Slayer are being sued by the parents of a teenage California girl murdered in a supposed satanic ritual. 15-year-old Elsie Marie Parler was raped, tortured and stabbed to death last year. Three teenagers, Royce E. Casey, age 17, Jacob W. Dalashma, 16 and Joseph Fiorella, 15, are to stand trial soon accused of the murder. The lawsuit against Slayer, the individual members of the band and their label, American Recordings, has been filed because all three defendants are members of a band called Hatred, said to be modelled on Slayer. The murdered girl's father, David, believes that because Slayer supposedly advertised themselves as messengers of Satan, this inspired Casey, Delashma and Fiorelli to kill his daughter. The Slayer song Hell Awaits is said by the parlours to have a uh, particularly negative influence. Featuring the lyric, slice her flesh to shreds, watch her blood flow free. This is filth. No wonder we have kids out there murdering slams, David Parler. Parents are not aware of what's going on. Their kids can get hold of Slayer music talking about murder and sacrificing. You tell me where you draw the line. I don't think minors should be exposed to this sort of thing. Although a number of high-profile rock acts such as Ozzy Osbourne and ACDC have faced lawsuits before in the States as a result of their music and lyrics, in most cases, 
This was because they were said to have driven fans to suicide. What makes this different is that not only has Slayer been implicated in a murder, but a lawsuit has been taken out before the defendants have even gone to trial. Green Day, the multi-platinum punks have admitted that they were forced to cancel their UK tour in April because bassist Mike Dunn was suffering from severe panic attacks. According to vocalist guitarist Billy Joe Armstrong, doctors strongly advised Dunn to take the antidepressant drug Prozac to combat these attacks, but the bassist refused, claiming they made him so sick he wouldn't be able to get on stage. The trio claim they were left with no option but to pull the dates. It's not the first time Dunn has suffered from health problems. Two years ago he complained of heart problems, something that still troubles him and which apparently puzzles doctors who cannot find the cause. On a more positive note, the band will start work shortly on their follow-up to last year's Insomniac album and they've hinted that this might be a double record. Pearl Jam guitarist Stone Gossard is celebrating this week after landing a new distribution deal for his record label Loose Groove, who have released albums by such diverse acts as Critters Buggin, Brand, Devilhead, Weapons of Choice and Malfunction. And Gossard, who launched the independent label in 1994, is insisting that Loose Groove wasn't dropped by previous distributors Sony. Gossard has secured the new deal with Red Distribution in North America, within just a few weeks of parting company with the mighty Sony Corporation. According to Loose Groove managing director Shelley Gossard, a stone sister, Loose Groove wanted to hook up with a company able to spend more time on their eclectic collection of acts. We felt like our records were just getting lost, she told Kerrang. The first release under this new deal would be the second album from Critters Buggin, Host, in October, followed by the debut LP from new Seattle band The Young Lovers. Gossard will, of course, be seeing plenty of action in his day job with Pearl Jam in the coming months. The band's fourth album, No Code, is released through Epic on August 27th. Gossard makes his singing debut on One Track Mankind, and the Jam start touring again in September 16th with a show in Seattle. The No Code Tour comes to the UK the following month for dates at London's Wembley Arena on October 28th and 29th. American news, starting this week with Don Kay in New York. New York City was dominated last week by a singular event, the return of the original KISS for four sold out shows at Madison Square Garden. Everyone either had tickets for multiple nights, I know plenty of people who went to all four gigs, or were scrambling to get them. Either way, the shows were the centre of the New York rock world's attention for several days. Yours truly went to the opening and closing nights and I had a magnificent time, reliving the very first rock concert I ever attended with 20,000 of my closest friends. The songs, the costumes, the effects, the fireworks, it all worked fabulously well, save for one or two miscues and the rather embarrassing, inexplicable last minute ejection of Beth from the final night's show, even as drummer Peter Chris made his way to the front of the stage to sing it. The audiences included a completely insane Sebastian back skid row and Scott Ian Amfrax in the front row. There are also reports that this KISS lineup might record a new album together. However, Carnival of Souls, a studio album recorded with the KISS lineup of Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley plus drummer Eric Singer and guitarist Bruce Kulick, should still officially see the light of day, possibly as part of a box set. It's already been made unofficially available as a bootleg. Okay, so KISS weren't the only game in town. The Butthole Surfers, the Toadies and the Reverend Horton Heat pulled into Roseland for a night of Texas fried music. 
Butthole singer Gibby Haynes, currently enjoying the band's first ever US Top 40 album with Electric Larry Land, warned the audience that the band are about to perform on the hugely popular Late Night with David Letterman TV chat show. Rush have a new album coming out through Atlantic on August 27th called Test for Echo, and having heard it, I must say it's the hardest rocking album from the veteran Canadian trio in a long while. In fact, some of the songs brings to mind the band's classic mid to late 70s period when they released such gems as A Farewell to Kings. Next up we join Lisa Johnson in LA. Green Day have signed a new management deal. They've gone with former Prince man Bob Cavallo, father of their producer Rob. Bob also manages uh, soul superstars Earth, Wind & Fire. It felt uh, could play a major role in reviving the punk trio's career. After their first album, Dookie sold more than 10 million copies, last year's Insomniac was something of a flop. So the pressure's really on the band to deliver this time. An experienced manager at the helm could make all the difference. As was reported in these very pages only a couple of weeks ago, Rancid bassist Matt Freeman and L7 guitarist Danita Sparks have become temporary members of a new band called Antichrist. Fronted by vocalist Exane Servankova, one-time vocalist with influential Los Angeles punk band X. Well, it now seems that we'll be seeing the aunties in action very shortly. Once Rancid finish their commitments on the Lollapalooza tour later on this month, Freeman will be able to join up with the band for some dates in California. The Warp Tour, which has recently been tracking across America with a combination of skateboarding champions and top bands like Rocket from the Crypt, Civ and Fishbone, is scheduled to come your way on August 31st. There will be a one-off date in the London area, although the precise location is still to be confirmed, but you'll be able to see bands such as Unwritten Law, Funker Bubble and Deviate. This brief visit to Britain is part of plans to expand the travelling warp circus beyond the state, where it's now established as a popular part of the alternative summer scene. There are also dates being planned in both Tokyo and Paris within the next few weeks. And finally this week we join Kevin Roberts in Seattle. Screaming Trees bassist Van Connor has teamed up with Kurt Danielson the, from Near Do Wells Tad to form a new band. The pair are calling their new act Vallis after a novel by respected sci-fi author Philip K. Dick and they've already recorded demos at a Seattle studio. Don't get too excited though, Vallis's plans are on hold at the moment while the Trees get on with touring in support of current album Dust. Candlebox have been rather quiet of late. Play out to have the song You featured on the soundtrack for upcoming movie Foxfire, which opens in America on August the 8th. Others who contribute songs to the film soundtrack include L7, veteran goth punks The Cramps and the irritating Luscious Jackson. Goldfinger drummer Darren Pfeiffer can be relied upon to leave a trail of destruction wherever he goes, but during this year's walk tour he has surpassed himself. Just a few weeks after leaving TV Boss's open mouth when he flipped chat show host Conan O'Brien over onto his neck during a live show, the Sticksman, nicknamed Dangerous by his bandmates for obvious reasons, incited a riot in St. Louis. Apparently Pfeiffer removed all his clothes during Goldfinger's set, causing mayhem in the process. The drummer was subsequently arrested, much to the disgust of Fishbone, the next band on stage. They complained during their set about the police action and invited the 5,000 strong crowd to rush the stage in protest. In the ensuing melee, two fans were arrested, but surprisingly little damage was done. Super Suckers, The Posies and Goodness are among the acts being lined up to perform at a Western-style rock concert in Vladivostok, Russia on September 21st. The 12-hour benefit gig called Vladiv Rockstock 96 will raise money for environmental groups, humanitarian projects and local arts organisations. Rumours that the Super Suckers are asking to be paid in vodka cannot be totally discounted. 
Do you know where you are? All I know is when I was here and I was 17, I was in the middle of a fucking jungle, baby! On location. This week, Morat, watches Entombed, get pissed in Stockholm. Veteran punks the Stranglers once wrote that the only interesting thing about Sweden were the clouds. They may have been right, but that was before Entombed launched themselves at an unsuspecting world with their first album, Left Hand Path, in 1989. Since then, a host of ferocious bands have helped Sweden to lose its dreary reputation. Despite Drain, ooh look at that fascinating cloud formation. But none of them have produced a more fearsome noise than Entombed did on their magnificent Wolverine Blues set. That was in 1993. And then the buggers all but disappeared. Until July 14th, 1996 that is, when they re-emerged for a truly awesome live show at London's Camden Underworld as part of Kerrang's Week on Planet Rock series of gigs. They're back in Sweden now, recording the long-awaited follow-up to Wolverine Blues. So what's taken them so long? Well, we had to wait a year and a half for our studio to be built, says guitarist Alex Hellid. The studio they've made uh, to order can be found within Sunlight Studios in Stockholm. Very nice it is too. Intombs seem relaxed here. The alleged infighting that ended with bassist Lars Rosenberg getting the order of the boot is a thing of the past. Rosenberg's replacement, Sorgen Sandstrom, is happily settled and the band's first major label album is taking shape nicely. This time we've had more time to listen to the songs before we have to record them, says Alex. One thing that's cool about the deal we have with East West is that we've been given our own label. It's called Free Man, after a drinking game that we play. Enough of this shite about studios and record deals. What are the rules to Free Man? Well, you sit around a table with five or more people and you get two dice, begins Alex. Everybody takes it in turn to roll the dice. One of the guys at the table is the Free Man. Every time a free comes up, he has to drink no matter who rolls the dice. But if the Free Man rolls a free, he can make someone else Free Man. Right. And another thing, says Alex, you can't say anybody's name. If you do, you have to drink. You get really pissed in no time. Intuned have been playing Freeman during the recording of the new album. Did they not want to do that? Usually we record in the winter when it's cold and there's not much going on, sighs Alex. But in the summer there's lots of parties and festivals. A lot of the sessions have been late because we've been hungover or drunk from the night before. Sadly, Alex drags the conversation away from drinking and back to music. Apparently, the new lyrics are about everything and he's really pleased with them. They're having trouble getting clearance for some of the samples they want to use and the music itself is a natural development. Yes, cloud formations are back on the agenda again. Look, Alex, we don't care about natural development. Is the new album fucking heavy or what? Yeah, of course, he snorts indignantly. It's the heaviest thing you've ever heard. We now come to one of this week's cover stars. Invasion of the Body Snatchers Jonathan Davis is a 25 year old misfit whose hobby is hacking up corpses. He could have been a serial killer, but he joined a monstrous rock band called Corn instead. Jason Arnott travels to Malibu to meet the sickest fuck in America. I haven't cut up a body in two years, says Corn singer Jonathan Davis, and I need my fix. I've got to go back to it. It's been a treacherous four-mile drive up Malibu's narrow mountain roads to hear such dangerous talk. We've come to Indigo Ranch Studios to meet the sickest fucks to hit the music scene in years. Corn are more disturbing than blood in your toilet bowl and heavier than a rhino in concrete clogs. They don't look overly friendly in their photos and Indigo Ranch sounds like the ideal place to end up impaled on a meat hook, screaming like a pig. It's here that Corn made their awesome self-titled debut album and are currently recording their follow-up. The setting is blazing hot, and breathtaking. 
deep blue skies above, palm trees and cacti all around, spectacular rock faces and rolling valleys on either side. There's also a lovable Australian cattle dog called Cheetah. On the downside, there are countless flies and at least one residential tarantula. Everyone does a bug check before climbing into bed. The words, Satan is real, have been written in the dirt outside the main entrance to the studio. This is the work of Jonathan Davis. Cornsinger is sitting in the kitchen munching a plate full of noodles. A boombox behind him is blasting out off kilter country rock. It's by Bible bashing Nashville duo the Louvin Brothers and it's called Satan is Real, naturally. Once he's finished eating, Davis takes us on a tour of the place. In the console room, producer Ross Robinson, a small cheerful character with the slightest of mad gleams in his eyes, is mixing a new song. Musically, it's a brutal whacked out killer. Lyrically, it's a torrent of politically incorrect abuse. It's called Come. It's the first single, grins Davis, just to piss off the radio people. I'm so tired of them cutting my cuss words out. That's how I sing, and this is to make a stand. We're throwing a big wrench into the fucker. If this sounds a little naive, then remember that Korn's first album has now sold more than 800,000 in the US. We've got this far without radio stations and MTV, says Davis. We really don't give a fuck. Record companies just want to make that quick buck and then go. Next band, please. If we let people get their meat hooks into us, it'd spoil a good thing. Jonathan Davis is 25 years old. He seems like a personable, sincere, decent man, until he starts talking about how much he enjoys dissecting people. He grew up in the hick town of Bakersfield, 120 miles north of Los Angeles. By his own admission, he was a sick little boy. You can't make anything of yourself in Bakersfield, he says. It's the armpit of the world and I hate it. The only things to do there are get fucked on drugs, join gangs, get arrested, fuck and have a kid. There's no music scene at all. Corn made Davis's childhood sound like a nightmare. The album's secret track seems to be a recording of his father yelling pointless abuse at his mother about the car. Were there no good times at all? Not really, he says. But I had a good time learning to play instruments at my dad's music store. I was spoiled in that sense. I only had one friend all the way through school, so music was a substitute. When he was 16, Davis went on a work experience placement at the local mortuary. I thought it'd be so cool to see dead bodies and cut them up, he says. All I did back then was watch horror movies, and I wanted to see the real shit. At first I was queasy, I'll never forget the sound of a scalpel cutting a body open, but it was so cool trying to work out how these people died. When he was 18, Davis's parents kicked him out of the house. He enrolled himself at a mortuary college. When he was qualified, he went to work in a funeral home in the country by day and a coroner's office by night. I had a sick obsession with embalming and autopsies, he admits, but I didn't want to fuck the corpses or nothing. I just got off on cutting people open. I could do things that serial killers did and get paid for it. I could hack up bodies. Did you ever work on people you once knew? Yeah, it was crazy. I didn't know them real well, but I'd seen them around or talked to them. One day, I had this lady come into the mortuary freaking out saying that her daughter's husband was going to kill her daughter. I stayed with her and counselled her. I got a daughter on the phone, gave this woman a big hug and said goodbye. The next morning, I came in and she was lying there on the slab. She'd gone straight home and killed herself. I was freaked out so bad. Incidents like this made Davis appreciate life so much. Singing in the band helped him to get all this shit out. I didn't want to keep stuff buried because I knew I could die any time, he explained. I saw people who died from reaching under their desk and having their 200 pound typewriter fall on their skull. Stupid shit like that. To be in a rock band has always been my fucking dream. I'm young and I'm gonna do it now. If I don't, I'll end up being 50 years old, cutting people up and kicking myself in the ass. While Davis was covered in gore, 
Guitarist James Monkey Sheffer, so cool because he looks like a fucking monkey. And Brian Head Welsh, so cool because he's got a big head. Bassist Fieldy and drummer David were playing the LA circuit in a band named LAPD and later in Creep. Revisiting their hometown Bakersfield, the foursome saw Davis singing with his first band Sex Art. They asked him to become a creep and Davis left his beloved Mortree to join them in LA's Huntington Beach. They had a happier groove before I joined, says Davis. I brought out the darker elements in them. It clicked. Creep subsequently changed their name to Corn. They turned heads across the US during a 10-month touring stint supporting the varied likes of Biohazard, House of Pain, Megadeth, Ozzy Osbourne and Danzig. They signed to Epic in 1994 and recorded the monstrous Corn. Since then, says Davis, their gigs have been an exercise in watching rabbits fucking multiply. We rabbits love corn because they mean it, man. On tracks like Faggot, which is about being called a faggot at school rather than being homophobic, Davis made Nine Inch Nails' his moan law Trent Reznor sound relatively contented. On Daddy, he broke down completely at the song's end, sobbing, I fucking hate you, you fucking ruined my life, and taking a nice pick to your heart in the process. If we find it uncomfortable to listen to, its creator finds it impossible. I never want to talk about Daddy, he says. It's self-explanatory. I didn't realise what was going to happen when we recorded it. We played it live once in a New York City club and it fucked me up bad. He sighs deeply. Subject closed. No point in pushing it. The first album came from my gut, Davis continues. It cleared a lot of shit out of the way. Things that were bugging me before, I was in a band. The new album is about me now and how I'm dealing with life. Might there come a time when you can't sing Blind Off Faggot with as much conviction? No, I'm so passionate about these lyrics that I'll sing them convincingly forever. I enter that mindset for an hour on stage every night. A lot of people trip the fuck out when they meet me, he considers. There's this misconception that I'm a big mean fucker who talks shit. But being hard has nothing to do with how big you are. It's to do with being true and honest. Phil Anselmo's the perfect hard singer, but it's not me. In truth, not everyone in Corn is as accommodating as Davis. When he attempts to play us some new stuff, David rudely clicks off the tape player. And if there was an Olympic medal for moaning during photo sessions, Corn would win it. But there's no doubt that we're dealing with something unique and special here, which is why people like Machine Head's Rob Flynn and Sepultura's Max Cavalera have been shouting Korn's praises ever since their first record came out. Musicians are the hardest people to satisfy, Marvel's Davis, so when someone like Rob gives you a compliment, it's the best. I guess we get respect because we're one of the few bands bringing the music back, doing something new. Not according to Fear Factory guitarist Dino Cazares, the exception to the rule. He's accused Korn of ripping off his band, Davis is unlikely to kiss and make up at Donington. I hate that jealous bitch he snorts. I heard he just got a seven string guitar like us and he's wearing Adidas suits like me. I don't understand it. Conversely, it's also been suggested that Sepultura's Roots owes a certain debt to Korn. After all, it was recorded at Indigo Ranch and produced by Ross Robinson. Davis winces rather than snarls at this suggestion. That's a hard thing to say because those are my friends, he says. But I was shocked when they got our producer and recorded it here. It was blatant, but it was also so flattering. Sepultura are one of my favourite heavy bands and I feel honoured by it. Davis even sung on one of the most twisted tracks on Roots, Look Away. He and Faith No More's Mike Patton memorably screaming away in thrilling style. Not that you could decipher a word of what they were saying. That was my shit, he says. It's about how I hate eating pussy. They wanted me to do the lyrics, so I wrote about the first thing that came into my head. It's a killer because Sepultura's music is all testosterone man and look away is a pussy song. With that, Jonathan Davis leans back in his seat and cackles. See, Satan is real. Beavis, you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! Live, 
And the first concert reviewed this week is Def Leppard, supported by Tripping Daisy at the Great Woods Amphitheatre, Mansfield, MA, on Tuesday, July the 16th. Reviewed by Paul Wilson, this one gets 6 out of 5. Yes, that's 6 out of 5. It's not possible, but they get 6 out of 5. And in case you haven't heard of Paul Wilson as one of the writers for Kerrang, that's because he's a Kerrang competition winner. And there's a picture of Paul Wilson seen here with his brother Mervyn as they fly to America to review Def Leppard on their current US tour. Didn't see much of Trippin' Daisy because I was soaking up the atmosphere, warm Budweiser. But what I did see reminded me of the Stone Temple Pilots, right down to the lead singer's blue hair. Having said that though, they got a good reception from the crowd. On this tour, Def Leppard are showing the world a brand new face. God of the gigantic rigs, the in the round stage, drum risers, lasers, etc. In come a line of marshals, basic but effective lighting, and a rock and roll show consisting of 21 songs with no drum or guitar solos. I knew that the Leps were big in America, but I wasn't expecting the fantastic reception they got when the lights went down and the intro tape started. This must have pleased the boys, who opened with a double salvo of rock, rock till you drop and hit and run. From then on, they couldn't lose, especially when you consider they still had songs like Animal, Sugar, Slang, Rock of Ages, Let's Get Rocked and Bringing On The Heartbreak, stunning version to follow. Even when the stalls came out for the acoustic part of the show, the atmosphere didn't drop. In fact, it probably increased, and the crowd singing along and drowning out Joe Elliott at times. The five songs aired from Slang fitting into the set with ease and had quality written all over them. I don't know whether this was because of the looser feel of the album made them come over well in a live situation. All I know is that they sat very comfortably with the older, more well-known material. While the band rocked beyond all expectations, which were always uh, very great anyway, this was only the 14th day of a long American tour and I'm sure that the Lets would agree that they have not reached anywhere near their peak yet. I can say this because I was fortunate enough to catch the soundtrack where they were putting a lot of time and effort into making things perfect. This inevitably leads me on to say that by the time they hit these shores, they will be scorching. Summing them up then, this was a very impressive display by a band who still have a lot to offer. They gave the fans what they wanted and nobody went home disappointed, especially this Brit. To the Leps, see you at Wembley. To the fans who go to the UK shows, you will enjoy every minute. Next up we have Three Colours Red at the Camden Palace London on Tuesday, July the 30th. Reviewed by Ray Zell, this gets 4 out of 5. The classiest vagabonds in town, that's Three Colours Red from their formative pub gigs some 6 months back till the year of our lord right now. The buggers have boasted a bag of pristine sonics which just shine. The pumped ribbons, the flexible guitars, the toxic melody of Pete's vocals. How can you go wrong when you are constantly building on such a solid foundation? Not to mention possessing in guitarist Chris McCormack, one who not only moves like somebody you just know owns a cool record collection, but is also the best hairdresser on the planet. But let's not put that one to the vote. They open with a new one, I Need a Holiday. It's just there, more instant than gold blend, but with 10 times the caffeine and a better looking bird in the flat across the hall. If you weren't singing along to a chorus by halfway through, then your sensory receptors are up your bum. What about that boy Pete? Finally realising that his microphone stays on between songs. Why? He even took a verbal swipe at Pantera's Phil Anselmo for his overdose related comments in a recent Kerrang. Uh, one step at a time there, Petey. There's a sensible lad. Closing the half hour set was Hate Slick, which besides the nailing killer riff, grooves, sways, chants and does an evening paper round on Wednesdays, everything plus a cherry on the top, but they will get even better. 
The surprise ending came when the lads of the Triple Shades of Scarlet handed their instruments over to the Wild Hearts, who went on to play a storming mini set consisting of Headfuck, TV Tam, Pump It Up and Caffeine Bomb. Ginger and Co only stopping because the palace pulled the plug on them. Off to the States the very next day. This could be the last time we'll hear those songs live this year. Turns out the Wild Hearts thought they were getting up to join Three Colours Red for a jam of teenage kicks, but Pete and the lad sucker punched them by leaving them to it. What a night. If you weren't there, treat yourself to a Kleenex. Next we have Symposium, live at the 100 Club London on Tuesday, July 23rd. Reviewed by Paul Rees, this one gets 4 out of 5. Something is happening in the capital's grot holes. It's called Symposium Fever, and it involves an increasingly rabid army of fresh-faced kids bouncing up and down like Zebedee clones on pogo sticks powered by Formula One engines for an hour. Tonight, it's the 100 Club, a glorified cellar off Oxford Street. It's packed, it's ridiculously hot, and here come the band. But first, a few things you should know about Symposium. They are very, very young. Singer Ross Cummins, guitarist William McGonagall, and drummer Joseph Birch are no more than 18, and look like your school football team's midfield trio. Bassist Wojciech Gozic is probably older, the Milky Bar Kid post-puberty. And Pixie-faced second guitarist Hagop Chaparian, yes, these are their real names, has to be younger. They jump around a lot. They give great choruses. Every verse a two-minute tease for a humongous hook. They're like Ash colliding with Green Day and the Banana Splits, only better. So far, seeing Symposium is like being let in through the back door to some secret sect. The same, excuse me, Sonny, lastly, are you old enough to be out after dark faces are squashed down the front, yelling, screaming, going mad, that sort of thing. And Symposium are their band, which is just as it should be for now. When they spring into Smiling and then Bury You, the musical equivalent of someone letting off two party poppers, the 100 Club goes mental in a way we haven't seen for ooh ages. Certainly not the last time Green Day or Terrorvision or Pearl Jam or the Wild Hearts were here, because they're old and boring. See, it gets to you after a while. The Symposium are genuinely exciting. Answer to Why I Hate You is so ridiculously catchy, so gleefully enthusiastic, it couldn't be any more lovable if it sat up on its hind legs and begged for a bone. By now, there's such a huge grin stretched across our faces we barely even noticed the sound cutting out for 15 minutes. And anyway, when the Symposium do return, it's with Farewell to Twilight, and a breakneck hop through the Beatles' Hard Day's Night, which are both ace. One thing you should know about Symposium, they will be massive very soon. The next concert review this week is Ozzy Osbourne, supported by Filter and Therapy at the Shoreline Amphitheatre San Francisco on Friday, July the 27th. This one is reviewed by Stefan Shirazi, and this gets 5 out of 5. Therapy are one of the world's most enduring rock bands, always entertaining with a great selection of get em off their ass songs that bounce and weave through the amphitheatre seats. Their current position as openers on the bill bellies what they deserve. Therapy deserves more respect from everyone in America, starting with a US record company whose anemic attempts to promote them are virtually non-existent. Hopefully this is groundwork that will mature into widespread respect over the next year. Filter are five lurching, sprawling figures immersed in beautiful anger and rich, sharp noise. Richard Patrick, the man behind Filter, may have played with Trent Reznor in Nine Inch Nails and Short Bus. Filter's debut album may have utilised technology to a large extent, but that's where similarities end. The songs are each stacked with terse, bitter observations and riffs to levitate even the most sedentary suburban arsehole. If Ozzy's crowd wasn't a Filter crowd, 
when they strode on stage, it was by the time Patrick hollered his way through Hey Man, Nice Shot. Musically, Filter looks set to follow their more primal urges, which will allow them to achieve the recognition they seem so deservedly destined for. They won't be a poor man's Nine Inch Nails, just a richer, tastier, meatier version of themselves. Countdown to their second album starts now. Sir Oswald of Osborne is bringing the fourth leg of his Retirement Sucks tour to a close, and with an extra stretch booked to begin in September, he shows no signs of slowing down. At a time when the word alternative signals crumpled shirts, lightweight buzz pop and MTV overkill, Ozzy remains a true enigma. He's not on the box, he's not on the mainstream radio, yet he's still able to pull 12,000 people a night. No wonder he is, without a doubt, one of the last great entertainers. Even when a little tired, uh, as he apparently is this evening, he can still put out a decent 90-minute show stacked with songs people grew up to. To whip it up, he mixes things around, tossing away war pigs near the front of the set, saving Mumra I'm Coming Home as his final encore and dropping in some classic between-song raps for sheer entertainment. By the time you read this, he'll be back in England, his batteries recharging for Donington. He cannot wait. You shouldn't dare think about it. Rest assured, he'll be the second thing uh, to do England proud this summer. And finally this week, we have Brian Adams live at the Alfred McAlpine Stadium, Huddersfield on Tuesday, July 23rd. Reviewed by Sylvie Simmons, this gets 4 out of 5. Three hours he played, 28 songs, most of them anthems, just a handful of the ones that make your granny go soppy and which are actually quite useful for stepping over swooning couples and getting a ton up at the bar. There are two things you can say about Brian Adams, or three if you count the fact that he should stop buying his clothes at Mr. Byright. Firstly, there's no one to touch him when it comes to sheer quality of instant sing-along stadium rock songs. And secondly, the word unassuming was invented for him. In a near rerun of last year's Kerrang Awards, Where's Your Past In episode, he was almost turned away from this gig because security thought he was some punter. Which could be why he's so good at communicating. Hardly five minutes go by where he's not picking out someone for a natter, dragging him up on stage to sing or dance, jumping into the pit to touch hands, or for the first of three encores, leaping about on a little stage constructed in the middle of the crowd, doing everything to turn a football stadium into an intimate venue and his band into an unpretentious rock combo. Highlights. Opener, the only thing that looks good on me is you. All I want is you. 18 till I die. Summer of 69. Run to you. And Sleeves pop classic Wild Thing. Which sees the band bounding up and down like they're suffering from an outbreak of Pat Smearitis. Some inflatable undies flap around in the wind at the end. But other than that, and a bit of dry ice, it's all down to the music. Class. Crowd-pleasing stuff. So next up in Kerrang, we have a slightly interesting and slightly weird uh, piece. It's called Black Hole Mum. She's Soundgarden singer Chris Cornell's mum. She can predict the future and she's about to tell John Bon Jovi and James Hetfield why they're in for a difficult few years. So each of these bits about the famous people, um, they tell you who they are when they were born. And then there's uh, Mark Cornell's personality profile and the future of that person. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the personality profile and the future of the person for a few of those. Um, yeah, I haven't actually read through these yet, so I've got no idea what Chris Cornell's mum is going to say. So uh, let's let's dip into this together, shall we? Dave Grohl, Mark Cornell's personality profile. In a word, tenacious. He's an extremely hardworking person and he might have a difficult year this year. It's filled with tedium, boredom and hard work. Dave's future, ace or ass. 
It looks like he has family responsibilities, either in his marriage or with his parents and siblings. He needs to do a lot of planning this year, or everything could literally fall apart in his hands. Rob Flynn. Mark Cornell's personality profile. Independent and driven, super stubborn and strong. He has 19 as a birthday. Stand back. His birth path is five, which represents boredom, restlessness, the need for freedom and change. He's not good at commitment. This might change slightly in the year 2000, but not a lot. Rob's future, ace or ass. He may have been ignoring his spiritual side and he will have problems with things he ignored while trying to reach his goals. John Connor, Mark Cornell's personality profile. He likes peace and privacy. He's torn between wanting to get out in the world and going to live in a cave. He loves what he does, but it's hard for him. John's future, ace or ass. He's in the ninth year of his cycle, so what he isn't using will leave him. Right. James Hetfield, Mark Cornell's personality profile. This guy has talent sticking out all over him. He's a Leo and they can be shy, but I bet he has no trouble performing on stage. You'd probably have to push him into a room full of strangers though. Is he married? If so, or if he's in a relationship this year or next year may see a breakup. There's lots of relationship challenges for him during the next nine years, beginning in 1997. This could be difficult for him. James's future, ace or ass. He's into a new pinnacle. There's a lot of hard work coming for him, but he's very talented. So whatever he does, he will do very well. Andy Cairns, Mark Cornell's personality profile. His first name is an 11. That represents a visionary and his birth path is a nine for humanitarianism. His nine year cycle really pushed him toward his talent in 93. He probably really moved his career ahead then. Andy's future, ace or ass. He may want to do too much for others and feel like a martyr. He needs to watch this. This is a good year for him to be writing songs and next year will be a good one for touring. This is a year for accomplishment. Ginger. Mark Cornell's personality profile. He shows a lot of spirituality. He uses music to reach people. He is really out there but going places. Ginger's future, ace or ass. He has a number one pinnacle which means a very independent time for him. He will have problems with relationships for the next nine years. I see lots of individual things. This could mean a solo project. Shauna Yuzel, Mark Cornell's personality profile. Whoever this is, they're onto something big. Even though I don't know who she is at the moment, I bet by at the year's end, I will. She's artistic and talented. Probably disorganized, but lots of fun, chatty, and more than likely a homebody too. Sean's future, ace or ass. She's in year one of a nine year cycle. This is a year of new beginnings. The last year looks like it could have been really tough for her. She's had some hard issues to deal with. Chris Cornell, Mark Cornell's personality profile. I haven't done a reading for Chris in a long time. He has an 11, the number of the visionary, someone who sees the bigger picture, as he did when he was 16. When he set his mind on becoming a musician. All in all, Chris is doing what he has uh, put here to do. Chris's future, ace or ass. There's a lot of energy around him until 1999. He's in year seven of his cycle, which means a lot of soul searching and introspection. He might be feeling unsocial, which could make touring difficult, but he's always been like that. Eddie Vedder, Mark Cornell's personality profile. He's a number eight, and they are driven to make money and have success. He really pushes himself to be successful. The Capricorn in him wants the success, but not the fame. This makes it hard for him. He has a tendency towards moodiness. Eddie's future, ace or ass. He's in the sixth year of his nine year cycle. This is a year for home, family and relationships. If there are difficulties in his relationship, they will surface. Or perhaps there will be another addition to his family. 
Max Cavalera, Mark Cornell's personality profile. He's a really independent guy. Definitely an I'd rather do it my way or not at all kind of person. That's probably why he broke up Sabatura at the end of the year. Max's future, Azar asks, I see a free pinnacle that's been with him since birth, so he's always been wrapped up in his work. He will be pushed on that until at least the year 2005. This should be an exciting year for him. John Bon Jovi, Mark Cornell's personality profile. You can tell that from the very beginning, he has had the desire to do something artistic. He probably had a very difficult year as he's had Saturn in Pisces, which forces issues and life decisions. Kurt Cobain also had Saturn in Pisces the year he died. His power number is eight. He knows how to make money. He's a great businessman. John's future, Asaras. Saturn has now left Pisces, so he should be feeling better. Things are straightening out. Feedback, and I'm sure in the next week or two, we're going to have a few letters into Karen complaining about uh, Mrs. Cornell reading Rockstar's future. Anyway, the letter of the week this week begins. Pantera are my idols and role models. Like many others, I worship their every bludgeoning riff and scream like they were Satan's own Ten Commandments. So what the fuck is Phil Anselmo playing at? If he really gives a shit about the fans who he claims pump into the hill, then why does he need to pump himself full of the poison that has killed so many talented people? The world needs spokesmen like Phil to spit in the face of conformity and scare the shit out of the mainstream. But to do so, he needs to be alive. Nobody needs to uh, preach to Phil because he obviously scared himself enough. But if he thinks he can abuse intravenous drugs and avoid addiction, then he's lost the plot completely. Smoke a spliff. Held a sweet leaf, but please, Phil, don't tap the vein. We're not ready to bury you in smoke. Paul, avulsion, Glasgow. When I saw that Finn and Summer had taken an overdose, I froze. I thought, no, not another talented musician dead. I know Phil's not regarded as a great songwriter like Kurt Cobain, but he would be a great loss to the metal scene, and to me personally, as he is one of my idols. Wake up, Phil. No matter how hard life is to you, you've always got your fans. Lead the mad skateboarder Stoke on Trent. P.S. Can I just say that Kerrang is brilliant, and the woman who was pouring a drink for Mark Hamilton at the Kerrang Awards is fucking gorgeous. Some Manix fans are sad, cross-dressing losers who should get a life. Well, hopefully the life I have is a hell of a lot better than the life of that sad wanker who calls himself Rusty Antichrist. What the fuck does he spend his money on? Satanic ritual books, devil horns, or God forbid Metallica's loaf? Fuck off, Ross, you pathetic shite. A pissed off female Manix fan, Belfast. P.S. Kirk Hammett is wearing a lot of eyeliner these days. Is he a cross-dressing loser too? Gagging for a shagging. Could you please reserve gagging for a shagging for the McCormack brothers, Danny and Chris? They are the most scrumptious blokes in the whole world. Mrs McCormack, somewhere in England. I am Bon Jovi's biggest fan. Their music is great and their sex appeal isn't bad either. But while I was swooning over that rather large poster John in issue 606, I noticed something rather odd. I spotted that John's super sexy Superman tattoo was on his right arm when it is in fact on his left arm. What the hell's going on? Will you admit your mistake or are you telling me that John's arms were snapped off from the shoulders and stuck on again the wrong way round in a moment of madness? Come on, help me. Sophie, London. Yes, yes, okay, we admit it. We inadvertently flipped the picture over. Well spotted, smart ass. Editor. Ooh, you people at Kerrang, you bastards, you. You can't go and get us readers all excited by writing stuff about the Kerrang Awards party and then leave us pondering about who was fighting 
who shouted pies into Dino Cazares' log hole, and the band member who chatted up almost every member of the party. It's not fair. Tell us, you motherfuckers. Sleepless in Cardiff. No, editor. Oh, go on then. One of them was Kerrangman Dave Everly, Pies. The Scrappers represented two of Britain's most successful rock bands, and that's all we're saying. And the top birder is a bass guitarist whose name rhymes with ass. A big thank you to Tony Doyle, who wrote to feedback a couple of months ago to recommend the Our Lady Peace album Navid. What a truly outstanding album it is. Another big thanks to the Chili Peppers for a great performance at Wembley. Jimmy Willis, Leicester. I'd just like to say that Everclear's Sparkle and Fade is the most powerful and evocative album I've heard this year. Despite the fact that Joe Elliott likes it, I'm still prepared to say that it's quite brilliant. Ben Gillies is crossed eyes. In response to the real metal fan who refers to the prodigy as beep beep dribble fart puke, have you ever even tried to listen to them? You prejudiced prick. Also to the pissed off Nirvana fan, nobody said the prodigy were heavy metal, but they are a heavy band. I've been a fan of the band for a couple of years now and they give me the same adrenaline rushes that metal provides. More Prodigy for Kerrang. Keith Flint's tongue. Aloha. Will everyone please stop fucking about writing into Kerrang and slagging off bands? I thought Kerrang was supposed to be a highly entertaining rock mag, not moaning bastard weekly, which is what it'll get called if everyone doesn't stop being so narrow-minded. Why waste your time and money in writing in to just to say that Bon Jovi are crap and get too much coverage? We already know that some people don't like them. And we also know that people who listen to Bon Jovi don't normally listen to Sepultura or Fear Factory. But you don't get those people writing in saying that Seps or Fear Factory are crap because they're not crap and neither are Bon Jovi. All the bands that get featured in the Holy Rock Bible are fucking brilliant in one way or another. The 90s is the best time ever for rock music with some really good bands like the Wild Hearts, Dog Eat Dog, Fear Factory and loads more. So let's all go to Donington and have a brilliant day. Alex Hayward, Newark. Well said that bloke. Variety is the spice of life and all that. In fact, so eclectic is Kerrangman Jason Arnott's musical taste. He could often be heard listening to Terrorvision on his Walkman while playing the opening riff to Enter Sandman and whistling the middle eight section to Reef's Naked. Editor. Uh, okay. Ill communication. Sheer art attack. Art Alexicus nearly died of a cocaine overdose 12 years ago and he's still not happy now that his band Everclear have sold a million records. Drugs aren't the problem this time, he tells Liz Evans. It's being mobbed by teenage girls. Success is a funny old chestnut. One minute you're happily cruising along doing your own thing and then whoosh, along it comes and knocks you off your size nines. It brings with it the promise of an endless supply of cash and sex, drugs and adulation, if you're into those sort of things and also madness and misery, paranoia and pain. Success is never ever quite like you thought it would be. Everclear are currently Portland's most successful rock band. Their second album, Sparkle and Fade, has now sold more than a million copies in the US, having spent 30 consecutive weeks in the upper reaches of the Billboard Hot 200. MTV and radio will not stop playing their videos and records. Now their gigs are at sports arenas rather than clubs. This is success, in a big way. I know Everclear didn't expect it to happen to them on this scale. Which brings us to Nashville, the home of country music and a Dolly Parton theme park, and the latest stop on Everclear's Summerland US tour. Everclear were formed in Portland, Oregon in 1993. They started playing for the usual and some not-so-usual reasons. Singer-guitarist Art Alexakis wanted to take care of his newborn baby daughter. Bassist Craig Montoya wanted to get laid. 
Drummer Greg Eklund wanted someone to talk to him. A master plan was never part of the picture. They released their first album, World of Noise, for a small indie label fire in March 95, and in the words of Montoya, just toured it. Things have changed a lot in a little more than a year. Everclear are now in a different league. Their last US single, Santa Monica, has been a smash hit, just like its predecessor, Heroin Girl. The band and their support act, Space Hulk, Tracy Bonham, Seven Year Bitch, and a mad Japanese Elvis Presley impersonator, are two thirds of the way through the Summerland tour, which is calling at arenas and large open air venues around the country. Tonight they play the Starwood Amphitheatre, capacity several thousand. This afternoon, Everclear are sitting on a rather nice tour bus parked outside a Nashville hotel. We do have an attitude, says Electricus. We'll do anything to help sell our records, whether it's an in-store signing or a meet and greet or press, anything, other than dressing Craig up as a cherub, although I'd like to see him in a diaper. Art survived a cocaine overdose on June 14th, 1984. He quit drugs six months later. His main motivation to make something of his band came with the birth of Anna, his perky little daughter four years ago. These days, Art can't even stage dive at his band's own gigs for fear of being mauled to pieces. If we do, we get our earrings ripped off and our hair pulled out, he says. It's ugly. They're just so hyped up out there in the crowd. The whole cult of personality thing is freaky. There's no preparing yourself for something like this, adds Craig. I'm just a musician. I go out there and do my thing and well, you just don't expect people to go, ah. At the Starwood Amphitheatre, an open air arena surrounded by trees, most of the kids in the audience look about 13 or 14 years of age. Their parents are charging around trying to keep order. Illicit smoking is rife. The night is hot and balmy. A storm is brewing and excitement levels are hysterically high. Crowd surfing continues for our Everclear supercharged set. Despite Art's pleas to cool it after one kid nearly breaks his neck. Everywhere you look, eyes are shining as brightly as those nasty fluorescent neckbands. Some chance has been flogging. It's a heartwarming testament to Everclear's newfound status. After the show, squillions of fans gather at the gates and Art runs out to meet them. He signs everything from tickets and albums to scrappy little bits of paper. As the bus pulls out of the parking lot, a gaggle of girls wave goodbye, squealing and bouncing up and down. So just how weird is it to be on the receiving end of so much unquestioning adoration? It was freaking us out when Santa Monica exploded, confesses up. Before we'd always get a lot of attention, but now it's manic on the road. Adjusting to this, I was having anxiety attacks and I was even considering going back on antidepressants. It's just so intense. I think it was more of a shock for me because I've been more identifiable. What about the others? How has being a sought after rock star altered their lives? Well, you can't trust people. Hell no, says Craig. Everybody's blown smoke up your ass most of the time. I caught a lot of flack when I went back to my hometown at Christmas time. I went to a party and a lot of people from high school were there. And at the time our video was getting a lot of hardcore MTV and radio play. So people were coming up to me and saying, hey Rockstar, why don't you buy everybody a drink? Thinking I had wads of cash and stuff. I get a lot of that. But being in the band has made me more sociable as well. I was very insecure as a kid. I grew up without a father. I grew up all skittish and not knowing how to deal with certain situations. I still hate uh, having my picture taken, being on video and being on the spot. Greg was even more shy. Before he was in the band, he couldn't bring himself to start conversations. I think being in a rock and roll band gives you an excuse to be a little bit more crazy. To be more outgoing, he says, I wanted to be in a rock band so somebody would come talk to me. Because I always say too shy um, to ever approach anyone. Now kids come and talk to me and start up these weird conversations. It didn't work out the way I planned. I'm going crazy. It's definitely bringing out a weirder side of me that wasn't around before. I can't sleep at night, which is weird because I've never had that problem. 
I grew up with the most stable family out of everyone here, so I'm pretty normal. But little things like not sleeping, I don't know, I just don't feel right. As well as anxiety attacks and missing his wife Jenny and his daughter, Arts had to cope with jealous sniping. We were signed to a major label and that has never happened to an alternative band from Portland before, he explains. To this day, there's a small faction of people who hate me because of it. They'll say it's because of other things which happened years ago, but it has nothing to do with it. It's all fucking sour grapes. But we've been very unapologetic. We've never tried to fit in with any clique. We've never got help from any alternative people. We're a rock and roll band. Art smiles and heads off to be mobbed in another American city. The singles this week are reviewed by Morat. The first single reviewed this week is My Girlfriend's Girlfriend by Typer Negative. This gets 2Ks. The supposedly controversial new offering from the PC Brigade's least favourite artist is a little more than a dreary goth song with a bit of smut thrown in to make people buy it. The sad thing is, it'll probably work, despite the fact that it's totally outclassed by the Nephilim, and you can stick that dismal cover of Black Sabbath where the sun don't shine, and we're not talking Norway. Solution AD with their single Pity Party. This gets 1k. Horribly chirpy power pop from a Yank 4-piece. The guitars are jangly and irritating and the song seems to consist of a chorus and a couple of false starts before rushing towards a hurried climax. Oh, and the B-side is credited as a bonus track. Excuse me, but since when has it been a bonus to get what you've paid for? Brian Adams with his single Let's Make This A Night To Remember. This gets 1k. Forget it, pal. Someone ought to call in Mulder and Scully and see if they can find out why this crater-faced Canadian twat is still making records. Worst of all, he keeps insisting that he rocks, despite all the evidence to the contrary. Maybe this passes for rock where you come from, but I've heard better noises coming from a festival toilet. Bastard thing will probably num be number one for 10 years as well. Sinkola with their single one-hit wonder. This gets 3Ks. Surprisingly palatable punk pop from this Texan five-piece. The song's not that special and frontlass Rebecca Cannon is hardly in the same league as Skunk and Nancy's skin. But there's a great jagged guitar sound throughout and it's kind of fun. Marvellous title for track three too. Guided by Voices with their single Brighton Rocks. This gets two Ks. Look, this comes with Fear and Loathing, one of the few fanzines on the planet actually worth buying, so you should get it anyway, even if it does sound like an indie version of Neil Young playing at the other end of a very large field. Shite band, great zine. Fear and Loathing is available from P.O. Box 3648 London N11FL. Therion, with their single, which doesn't have a name, uh, so this gets 1k. This has one of those funny choral intros that usually appears before a death metal band go arg, war, grunt, slaver. Except that it never comes. You sit there waiting to kick him, only nothing happens. As dull as you'd expect. And the single of the week this week is Dub War with their single Cry Dignity. And Morat hasn't given this a rating. So, yeah, that's strange. The mad Welsh blokes get all mellow on us with the first single from their forthcoming new album, Wrong Side of Beautiful, and it's absolutely stunning. Perhaps the most underrated band in the UK, Dub War fused together all the right elements from a diverse array of influences, and then simply let Benji's awesomely soulful voice do the rest. Tidy. Sex Machine. If you're a young lady, Peter Still will spare no expense in whining and dining you. Sadly, as Jason Arnott discovers, the type of negative frontman will also ask you to watch him wash the dishes with his sizeable cock. 
You're a nice young lady. You're sitting in the living room of type of negative frontman Peter Steele's Brooklyn apartment. He's just cooked you a tasty pasta dish, and now he's cracking open a bottle of fine red wine. The ambiance is perfect. He seems like a normal romantic guy. Nothing like the monster you've read about. Oh no. You need to go to the bathroom. So you do, passing through the kitchen. When you return, you find Peter standing with his sizable cock in one hand, pissing on the dirty dishes in the sink. I tried to tell her it took tomato sauces off the pan, shrugged Steele. I just had to piss so bad that I couldn't wait. Fortunately, she didn't run screaming out of the door. At least, not until I tried to serve her breakfast using the same dishes. Peter Steele has made his mistakes. He admits that Slow, Deep and Hard, the band's debut album, contained some questionable rants, and Jackhammer Rape is not a clever title for a song. But often, he's simply misunderstood. He's the kind of super dry piss taker that America, quite frankly, isn't known for producing in great numbers. I'm going to talk to the band about installing an irony bell on the new album, he says. When the listener hears the bell, they'll know a lyric is sarcastic. Today he's sitting in the Brooklyn recording studio where he's putting the finishing touches to that new album, October Rust, 34-year-old still insists that he's matured, sort of. Born of Russian and Icelandic parentage, Peter still grew up among women. He describes himself as a man sandwich with five older sisters and five younger nieces. He spent hours thinking of new ways to scare his sisters shitless, but it would be wrong to assume he hated them. I was really upset that people thought I hated women and I was pro-rape and all this other bullshit, he says. I was always extremely protective of my sisters and when I got this label, I knew I'd done or said something wrong. It's fair to say that I am sexist though, because I hate men. I don't like competition. Any creature born with testicles is a born liar, and I've got three testicles, so I don't know what that makes me. Peter still lost his virginity when he was 19. I believe I've since made up for lost time, he notes. I consciously liked girls, and I wanted to touch them, not in a sexual way, but almost to examine them in a cold scientific way. The softness of their skin was a very sensual thing to me. Religion is combined with sex in many type of negative songs. Steele spent eight years in a Catholic school. The fierce nuns used to pull his hair. I'm surprised I'm not mentally scarred from that, he says. But when they attacked me, I just laugh. They told my parents I had emotional problems and my parents said, we know. But women seem to like songs about sex and religion, judging by how many records we've sold. At times, there's 80% women at our shows. It's a very strange thing to grow up feeling like 230 pounds of mucus in a bag and then suddenly see all these girls taking their clothes off and throwing them at you. Still has no qualms about bedding groupies. He told Californian sex mag New Rave of one encounter with two bisexual young ladies which would make a porn star blush. But I always try to be safe and careful, he says. I don't want some woman knocking on my door in five years with a little boy who grabs hold of my leg and says, Daddy. Until his late teens, Steele was a fully paid up member of the Headbangers Club, getting off on ACDC and Black Sabbath. Then he got bored and discovered New York's famous CBGB's club. Cutting edge hardcore bands like the Cro-Mags and Agnostic Front were a revelation to him, as were the diversity of the crowds. Skins, punks, rockers and goths mingled as one. In a way, this planted the seeds for what he eventually had the courage to do with type of negative. You can learn something from everyone if you have an open mind, he says. It was a real nice feeling to be able to look the way you feel without anyone bothering you, apart from the cops. Steele first joined Shock Terrorist Carnivore for a couple of albums. On stage, they threw raw, raw meat into the audience and went out of their way to provoke people. Then he formed Typo. His towering six foot plus frame ensures that he always cuts an intimidating figure. 
It's a strange thing, but most of the physical problems I have with people are from small guys who are out to prove something, he says. It's a no-win situation. Because if I kick the shit out of them, I look like a bully. Most of the fights I've had usually turn into wrestling matches. My thing is to get people on the ground and bash their head against the pavement until somebody pulls me off. I will bash their head until their brains come out of their eye sockets. I don't think I'd have any problem with murdering somebody if I knew I'd get away with it. There are people I would like to kill with my bare hands. Contrast Steele the barbarian with Steele the pagan who likes to talk to the trees. The same Peter Steele who has composed a dreamily dark October rust. Every time I've gone to the woods I've felt like it's where I belong he says. I love how things feel and look. Love is everywhere. If I get married I'll have a pagan celebration in the woods. I'll put goat horns on my head and chase my fat aunt around until she tripped and sprained her ankle. The irony bell has just rung. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy you couldn't get off the turntable. Albums, and the first album reviewed this week is Smells Like Children by Marilyn Manson. Reviewed by Paul Travers, this one gets 4Ks. Uh, at this point, it would be remiss of me not to mention the allegations that have been thrown against Marilyn Manson when I'm recording this in 2023. Uh, I've talked about this at the start of the year doing this podcast, that there's going to be a lot more Marilyn Manson coming up in Kerrang! because um, they're just about to sort of blow up and get huge. Uh, it's, it's a tricky one because the allegations against them are pretty awful, but it's going through the courts of law in the US at the moment and he hasn't been found guilty, he's not innocent. Like We just don't know. Um, I always believe women in these situations. You should always believe the accusers and stuff like this. But again, we don't know. So it's, it's difficult for me to sort of really make any comment about it. People can make up their own minds and you can go out and you can read what's been alleged. Um, it's stuff that we've probably always kind of known about Marilyn Manson because when you read about him in the 90s, he was always a pretty like messed up guy. He's always like on the edges, like sexually, of, uh, of, of being an abuser. But again, none of us actually know, do we? So. Um, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and read the review. Um, but I did just want to put this caveat in here, just to almost say I am not forgetting about what has been alleged here. We can't. But also, this is a mirror into what was going on in '96, stuff that we didn't know. So I also want to try and be balanced and fair there. And, you know, Crane refused their record, so I'm going to go ahead and read that. Okay, let's begin. You want to play the broken glass against the head game? Marilyn Manson inhibit a bizarre and twisted place that is part their own devising and part based on the sick underbelly of the modern world that you couldn't make up if you tried. Think Alice Cooper if he hadn't gone crap, if he'd been introduced to the oral mindfuck of Pigface or Skinny Puppy instead, and you might just have a starting point. Smells Like Children is an invitation to join the band in a dark disjointed dreamscape that sounds like a HR Geiger painting set to music. Unlike all good nightmares, it's a fascinating place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. This is a weird record. From the distorted samples of crying children that start proceedings to the disjointed garbled voice that ends them. Like most truly different records, it could be seen as either a slice of demented genius or just as validly as noisy pretentious ass. Grinding industrial rhythms clash with brooding atmospherics and samples and musical inserts of varying degrees of strangeness assume as much importance as the actual songs. The songs themselves are largely covers or reworkings of tracks from the portrait of an American family debut, and as such this probably only counts as a stopgap. 
Parts of it shouldn't work, but the cheesy hammer horror organ of shitty chicken gangbang and the acoustic white trash instead of sounding disparate and out of place just add to the overall texture of the album. Of the covers, the most striking is a deliciously sinister reinterpretation of the Eurythmics' Sweet Dreams are made of this. The lyrics lending themselves perfectly to this new, darker reading. Screaming Jay Hawkins, I Put a Spell on You is only slightly mangled, while Patti Smith's rock and roll nigger is a searing blast of raw energy, over which Marilyn, who is male, incidentally, or at least close to it, screams, I am the all-American Antichrist. Their own songs are eclectic and diverse affairs, united only by intense industrial heaviness and Marilyn's voice. Trent Reznor whisperings one moment, strangled screaming the next. Dance of the Dope Hats is a noise collection of the highest order, bringing clashing rhythms to bear on jazz-like squealings. Diary of a Dope Fiend is slow and evil, while Everlasting Cocksucker, with its pulsing bass lines and I am the god of fuck refrain, is really not for the faint-hearted. It's hard to say just how subversive a mere rock band can be in the 1990s. We've already had the punk attitude, we've already had the total chaos, we've had the androgynous look and the makeup and the stock horror lyrics. But never before has it all been bound up into one glorious package. If middle America goes apoplectic over White Zombie, wait till they get a load of Marilyn Manson. Next up we have the album Scared Straight by New Bomb Turks. Reviewed by Morat, this one gets 4Ks. For the past few years, there has been the wonderful rumble of fine tuning from the garage of amphetamine fueled punk rock band New Bomb Turks. Entering their first race with a brilliant debut album Destroy Oh Boy, they came off the starting grid like some hopped up street dragster and have since gone on to win many a minor league battle with two further albums and countless marvellous but hopelessly obscure singles. All well and good. But if we're going to stick with a racing analogy, so far the New Bomb Turks' career has amounted to little more than burning a few cars off at the lights rather than lapping all comers to become world champions. But now, in 1996, Punk Rock's best kept secret have finally got some decent sponsorship and with Epitaph emblazoned across the hood, they come thundering out of the garage without bothering to open the doors. Driven by Eric Davidson, the maniac offspring of Iggy Pop and the Dwarves' Black Dahlia, they are clearly destined to crash and burn. With all that power, it would be easy to think that new Bomb Turks have forgotten about subtlety. This is, after all, don't give a fuck free called punk at its best. But given the decent budget no doubt afforded to them by Epitaph, the Turks have cleaned up their sound a touch and even added keyboards here and there. Professional Against Star, for instance, is what Jerry Lee Lewis would have written if he'd been born 40 years later. Like all the best bands in their genre, the Turks know that this kind of punk is only supercharged rock and roll and for that you need blues and even soul before the fucker will run properly. Forget Offspring, no effects and even rancid, they all utter the name New Bomb Turks with reverence. Hell, even Poison Idea, the retired kings of punk thought this was a cool band. Scared Straight will leave you standing. Eat its dust. And lastly this week we have the album Bored Generation by Various. Reviewed by Jason Arnott, this one gets 3Ks. Who's got a machine that plays CD-ROMs then? That's right, very few of us have. Because we're more worried about the landlord coming round with a taxman to grab the stereo, that Sony PlayStation thing looks much more fun anyway. A compilation album with a CD-ROM track has a limited excitement factor right now, but the program is admittedly quite entertaining and visually impressive. You can rock to the tracks on the CD while watching near video quality visuals of skateboarders, snowboarders and anyone else with nothing better to do with their lives. Uh, I mean cool cats. 
There are many other features which you enter by clicking on various sections of the screen including information on skateboarding, snowboarding and the epitaph label itself. It's a neat little package even if it won't quite keep you enthralled forever. The music itself, ah yes that stuff, is fairly patchy by the mighty epitaph standards. For the CD-ROM tracks to be a true bonus the accompanying music should be able to stand alone. Pennywise open up and while they've uh, moved away from their previous cloning of Bad Religion, the Californians still lack identity. Don't care, I live fast, die young. Now there's an original title for you, are basic workouts with trace levels of adrenaline. Offspring's Bad Habit on the other hand is an excellent snot hulking piece of turbo hate, which you wouldn't want to play to victims of road rage. Presumably though, this track from the Smash album wasn't given voluntarily, seeing as Offspring have recently parted ways with Epitaph. Play your mates the daredevils hate you and they'll dismiss it as yet another bad religion clone. This is where you can embarrass them by revealing that the band are fronted by ex-bad religion guitarist songwriter Brett Guritz. Brett is also the owner of Epitaph. Must be great having your own label when you're a musician. But Hate You is a typically classy and melodic song from the man possibly aimed at his former bandmate. Souls of Mischief offer production line rap while Rance's brand new track Blaster is strong and uh, but no roots radical. Helmet stand out with a riff heavy Wilma's Rainbow, although the song is old. Beastie Boys come and go with a frenetic, forgettable nervous system, while NoFX raise the standard with the humorous Drugs Are Good, previously only released on a single. Casual are a slightly better rap band than Souls of Mischief, and the ever wanky but fun primers close the affair with a ridiculous near instrumental named Hellbound 17 and a half. Interesting as it is, board generation is a great deal less than essential. Save up for a Sony PlayStation instead. Charts and the number one album this week is Free Snakes and One Charm by The Black Rose. Number one in the singles charts is Everything Must Go Manic Street Preachers and number one in the indie LPs is Play Games by Dog Eat Dog. The readers chart this week comes from Tom from Dursley. Their chart begins one, Oh Me Nirvana, two, Evidence Faith No More, three, Alice What's The Matter Terrorvision. 4 Weenie Beanie Foo Fighters, 5 Not For You Pearl Jam, 6 Problem Solved Terrorvision, 7 Sucker Punch The Wild Hearts, 8 Self Esteem Offspring, 9 Hold Me Thrill Me U2, 10 Enter Sandman Metallica. The Star Tracks this week comes from Phil Walsley of Joyrider. Their chart begins 1. Viva Dixie Submarine Transmission Plot by Sparkle Horse, 2 Drop The Roof Out Of My Hair, 3 Clouds Taste Metallic Flaming Lips, 4 The Specials The Specials and 5 Horse Drawn Wishes by Roller Skate Skinny. Next week in Kerrang Back Issues, Sex, Violence, Drugs, Arrests, Sepultura, Dog Eat Dog, Type Negative, Fear Factory, the most sensational interview ever with the hard men of Donington. Mr. Bald, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Black and New Guy Etchy, Biohazard go to work on Donington. Bleep Squirk Part, White Zombie, Dance Mad Remix Album Dissected, Kiss, the greatest story ever told, save 10 quid off albums by Donington's hottest bands. Will you play Bark at Moonlad, Paradise Lost Interview Aussie, plus Slayer, Corn, Everclear, Pantera, Presidents of the USA, Pearl Jam, and Hole. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday as usual. Look forward to talking to you all then. Bye for now. Turn around, got your face blade, can you wait shit? Turn around, got your face blade, can you wait shit?
Oh, just 